welcome to Dr. Me First. We are getting into part six, the final part of how to start a super crazy business and go PRN clinically. So I'm your host, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. I'm a life coach. I'm a family medicine physician. I'm the mother of dragons. I'm an overall badass, not going to lie. And I help you become your best badass self as well. I'm super excited to be sharing how I did it, all the struggles that I did starting a super crazy business and going PRN clinically, and the lessons that I think everybody needs to know. So I'll be talking from my experience and from those I have helped as well, sprinkling in hopefully a whole bunch of sass and a bunch of knowledge for you. I'll recap the whole series, but of course, drop you some new gems as well. But before we get into today's solo cast, I got to pay some bills. Here's a quick message from Physician Financial Services, a business widely recognized in the physician community for disability insurance. Lawrence Keller, CFP, has been in the insurance and financial services industry since 1990. Unlike medicine, which has a standardized pass for physicians must take, gain the education, training, and experience requirements necessary to achieve board certification, the insurance and financial services industry does not. While he might not be a doctor's first phone call regarding insurance needs, he is often their last. So find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com backslash Larry Keller, and the link is in the show notes. All righty, let's talk a little bit more about going PRN clinically. So I touched a little bit on this in part four, part five of the series. That's when Dr. Dina George came and hung out with me, which was an amazing episode. Go listen to it if you haven't yet. But part six here, I want to talk a little bit more about taxes, contract reviews, negotiations, time schedules when you're trying to handle both and some more goodness like that. So let's talk taxes first. I remember the first time when I was transitioning from being a W-2 quote unquote, employed physician to being a 1099 contractor. And I was super scared because I was so used to getting a paycheck, all the taxes being taken out up front, which I complained about, but everything was taken care of by the organization's accounting department, like their CPAs. You know, I didn't have to think about it. And then at the end of the year, they would send me my tax documentation, boom, boom, you know, done, that sort of thing. So 1099 for me was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to be in charge of all that. But what I want to do is empower you and say, guys, people work as 1099 contractors all the time. You're not a magic unicorn. This is not a first time event, anything like that. It actually can be done and it can be done really well and to your advantage. Here's the big difference. As a 1099 contractor, you will likely, well, it depends how you set up the contract, but For a majority of the time, you will have to extend an invoice or some way for which you for which you should be paid. And it depends on how your contract is set up. If you are working hourly, if you are doing a lump sum, if you are doing by patient volume, I don't know. However you want to get paid, you can get paid that way. But you'll just have to show proof of, okay, this is how much I worked in the month of May, breaking down your hours. Some employers want to see a timesheet. Some people are just like, yeah, just tell me the whole total. It's fine. But you want to have some kind of documentation for which you submit to whoever writes the checks. So for one instance, when I was working as a 1099 employer in an emergency medicine 
We just kept our time card. The admin assistant would go through and tally all of that, and it was taken care of. Then we got our checks. Um, In another position when I was a 1099 working as a medical director, I would have to submit a monthly invoice um, to the CFO. So not a big deal either way, but you just want to make sure that you know how you're going to get paid and what documentation you need to do. And then also by having that documentation, if something's wrong, then you can go back and show them like, hey, this was our agreement. This is how much I work. This is how much I was paid. It's inappropriate. So just make sure you have that. That's one of the big difference that's different than being a salaried W-2. The other big difference of being a 1099 is making sure that you're holding money back for taxes. Because remember, as a 1099, they are not going to hold money back for the government for you. So even though it feels really great to get these big-ass checks, you have to make sure that you hold some of it back. And the official name is Estimated Tax Payments. So this is where I'm going to encourage you to make sure you have a really good accountant or bookkeeper that you work with who understands tax code so that they can help you line out, okay, this is about how much, if you make this much money in 2021, this is about how much taxes you're going to have to pay. So each month, each paycheck, each quarter, you need to make sure that you hold back X amount of dollars. And actually through the federal government, they do require that you send in quarterly tax payments from those estimations. The one that's coming up here is June 15th in 2021. The schedules are a little bit wonkier because of COVID and all the stuff. But again, a good accountant will help you with, I was just talking with mine the other day about this, and we were talking about estimated tax payments. This is no big deal. Accountants are used to doing this. Please do not feel like that this is a huge ass deal because it's absolutely not. And another point that I want to say, because you're pulling out your own taxes, you need to know your own tax rate. And this is also a really powerful tool whenever you're going into negotiations. Because not only do they need to pay you a salary, you need to think about like what you're going to get paid, add taxes. (laughs) You're going to also have to think about other benefits that would typically be in an employed setting that you need to add to your ask whenever you're in contract negotiations, which is going to be like for my family, health insurance coverage. We have to go out into the open marketplace to purchase health insurance. It's not a benefit that I have. So that's something to add into it. The other things you want to think about is like who's paying for your licensure, your DEA, your board certifications. You're probably going to have to pay for those as a 1099 contractor. So add that into your price. The other things you want to think about are travel expenses. How much are you going to be driving? As a 1099 contractor in the eyes of the government, you can actually keep track of your mileage and deduct that using a business expense. Some other really cool things that you can use as a 1099 are going to be those business expenses. So like whenever I renew my state licenses, that goes as a business expense. Whenever I have to do some kind of like opiate training or something like that, that would typically have been covered by my employer. But now because I am an independent, I pay for it. It's now a business expense. So just keep all your seats and you get to use that in the end of the year. So good. I'm telling you, there's so much perks of being a 1099 contractor. Do not let it scare you. All right. Next topic, contract reviews. So I've mentioned it a few different times, but I want to mention it again. If you do not ask, the answer is always no. I want you to remember that when you go into contract negotiations and contract reviews. 
ask for everything. What's the worst thing they're going to tell you? No. And to get out of the building? Probably not. They may say no, but they're not going to kick you out of the building. So if you don't ask, it's an automatic no. So make sure that you know all the things that you want to ask for. And this is where having a network, talking to other people who are doing something very similar to what you're thinking about doing, who have maybe done it before, can be life-changing. Because they're going to think of things like, oh, you need to make sure you ask for this. You need to make sure you put that in. You need to make sure that uh, you specify when you're not going to be there, who the chain of command is, and how much time you have to give. That was a big one for me. So important to, to have those people. Whenever you're getting your contract reviewed, a run-of-a-mill attorney is not going to be helpful. Just not going to happen. You need someone who specializes in this. It's kind of like going to a family med doctor, which I am one, and wanting some like uber subspecialized procedure that I maybe saw once in residency. Just not going to happen. So same thing here. I want you to really, really vet any attorney that you're going to use. And one plug that I have to get in there, and she's been on this podcast, is a new Murthy. She specializes specifically in physician contract negotiation. Now, she's not a litigation lawyer. She simply does reviews. She gives you options. She talks you through like pluses and minuses, and she can help spur you to action. So I will put her information in the show notes because I have used a new plenty of times, and I wholeheartedly support her. I send my clients to her. I think she does an amazing job when it comes to being someone who understands the business and is going to go to bat for you for what you need in your contract. All right, and then it comes down to negotiations. And this is where I have to have a heart-to-heart with you. The only person who really is going to negotiate your contract is you. So I really want you to sit back and really get super empowered about what you need, what you want, and why this is important. When I first went into this world, I was like looking around and waiting for somebody to like advocate for me and help me out, but it's just not going to happen. And especially when you go out as a 1099 contractor, when you're asking for something that's totally different than most people in the traditional medicine setting, you're going to feel really alone and you're going to feel isolated. And that's where I want to come in and help you and say, like, you don't have to, but you do have to be your own biggest advocate. So if you don't understand something, ask more questions. If you want something more, ask for it. If you're feeling kind of shaky on stuff, I want you to tap back into your network so that you can be empowered. Because at the end of the day, this contract needs to be the very best for you. And again, you are the only one who's going to advocate for yourself the best. Because this is the last episode, I want to fit in a few more topics that some people in my Slack group asked about when we were talking about going PRN clinically. So one of them was marketing strategies for PRN clinical work. They're like, Aaron, how you find this stuff? I'm going to go back to it again. You network, you communicate, you put yourself out there, you ask for what you want and need. That is the best way that I have found to find really cool clinical opportunities. So that's going to be number one. Number two, looking for PRN stuff, get on LinkedIn. There is so much stuff listed out there. And the other thing, too, is reminding yourself that the job that you are looking for, there may not be a job description yet built for that. And so that's when it's really, really important to be talking to the people you know who are in the places that you want to be in. 
So those are my best marketing strategies is just to start talk about what you want and what you're looking for because it's not always going to fall in your lap. They also act about marketing strategies for your new business. So this is a whole other side of things. And I just want to put a plug in there that if you're thinking about coaching, you need to come over and join the Physician Coaching Alliance because this is where I sit down as your business mentor and talk about all the things, marketing strategies, tangible takeaways that you can start in your business immediately, all the mindset stuff that you need to have to be a successful new business. So I'm not going to go into it here. Another question that they asked is timelines. So I'm going to suspect that you are a very type A person, that you plan your work and you work your plan. And you get really pissed off when it doesn't hit your timeline. So I want you to think about this and make two different timelines. The first one is the expected timeline, the one for which you expect everything is going to fall into place. Like I'm going to transition out of this job. I'm going to find a clinical PRN job. My business is going to be doing this. That's your expected timeline. And then I want you to make another timeline, which is reality. (laughs) And what I want you to do with that is add about 18 to 24 months. Yes, my friend, add 18 to 24 months interspersed in there about how this timeline is going to work. And you're not doing anything wrong. I'll be perfectly honest. It just takes a lot longer than our very persistent and very impatient selves want it to take. You know, one thing that I've heard before is if you've still alive and you're still floating in business five years out, then you've made it. And so I just want to encourage you, like, it's likely not going to be the first year or the second year or the third year or the fourth year. But if you can get past the hump into the fifth year, there is something about the relevancy there. So again, I know you have your expected timeline, but let's talk about the reality and realistic timeline. It's going to take longer than you think it's going to be. All right. Another question they asked about is, how do you balance clinical PRN work with starting your new business? So important. This is an absolutely great question. Thank you so much. I think Diana submitted this to me. So thanks, Diana. How do you balance it is you get really, really clear with your boundaries. So with your PRN clinical work, when you're there and you're working, you are there and working and getting stuff done. You've also got to make sure that when you're working on your business, that it's not spilling into like your family hours because maybe you're working from home at that point. So setting really clear, like from four to eight on Saturday afternoons, I am going to work on the business. And then when the timer goes off, you walk away from it. Even though I know you want to stay and you want to keep working into it, you've got to have good, clear boundaries because otherwise, friend, you're going to start grinding, you're going to start hustling, and you're going to get burned out. And that's the very last thing that I want for you. The other thing of how do you balance the clinical work and building your business plus doing everything that you're doing on the home front, it's going to be delegation. You are going to need to spend money on outsourcing things that can be done by other people so that you can be working clinically or so that you can be working on your business. So a couple things that come to my mind straight off the bat, house cleaner. So important. You need one of those. Another one in my life is lawn care. Even though I love mowing, it's an extra couple hours out of the week that if I can delegate that out to somebody else, I can be doing the things I want to be doing within my business or within my clinical work or even with my family. Maybe for you, shopping is another one, like grocery shopping. Um, Another delegation is going to be childcare, which is super important as well. So 
those are the big things about balancing is really having good, firm boundaries of like when it's work time, it's work time. And when it's fun time, family time, it's family time. And then also delegating out. All right. And the very last thing before I wrap this episode up, but I must touch on it because it was a huge component of my own life. It is so important to minimize the parent guilt that you will have during this transition. It was so hard for me to explain to my littles that mommy was no longer going to be a doctor at the office that she was in. And it was because I felt guilty because I had sacrificed their early years. I had sacrificed a lot of family time to become this type of physician. And now all of a sudden mommy is changing it. So I really want you to manage your mind around a lot of the guilt. If you go back to one of my episodes that talked about quitting your job guilt-free or at least almost guilt-free, go back and listen to that one because I'm going to suspect that you're going to have some guilt pop up with that too. It's normal. Let me say everybody feels it, but you don't need to keep yourself swimming in it as well. All right, so there you go. Part six in the books. So just as a clean wrap up, So you can go back and think about this. Part one is the getting started on how to start a super crazy business and go PRN clinically. Part two, I talked about fact-finding, networking, and that I don't know is no longer an answer you can use. Part three, I talked about how connections and networking is so key and crucial and also more about marketing. Part four, I had a more clinical focus and we talked about the PRN clinical side. And part five, I talked with the amazing Dr. Gina George on all the things that she's helping physicians do when they start their baby businesses. So there you go. It has been an absolute great series. I'm so glad that we thought of this idea. Hell, maybe at some point in the future, we'll keep going on with it or we'll do a new and improve. But it's been so fun. If this has been helpful to to you, let me know. If this is stuff where you feel like you want to dive in deeper, jump into the Slack group. Or like I said, if you're more into the business coaching side, come join me over at Physician Coaching Alliance. All righty, before we end, don't forget to reach out to Larry Keller of Physician Financial Services for your disability insurance need. He's been around for a while in many physician communities, helping them with the coverage they need. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com backslash Larry Keller. And don't forget, my friends, your life, your calling, your pulse. Hey, are you tired of going at it alone? Well, friend, you don't have to anymore. Come sit with me. I want you to know that it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to talk about some real crappy things. It's okay. You're not the first to feel like this, and you don't have to stick it out and be miserable. There is a way out, and there's a whole movement of fierce females in your corner. If you want to come sit with me and be in my community, you will not see me in Facebook groups. I freaking hate Facebook with a deep and fiery passion. But what you can do is come over to Aaron Wiseman's Badass Collective on Slack. Because guess what? Once a badass, always a badass. And this isn't anything that's paid. It's not anything that I'm like throwing huge promos at you. It is simply a community where I am trying to get people together in the same space so that we can have these kind of conversations safely and in a protected manner that you feel 
so loved on. It's the whole purpose. So click in the show notes, get over to the Slack group. We do have some community rules, but you know, that's just how it goes. But I would love to see you in there. I am in there almost every single day, having real conversations, posting crazy pictures of my kids and gifts, all that good stuff. And I want you in there too. So come on over, come sit with me. 